Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in Philippians entitled Gratitude Unleashed, Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. Gratitude Unleashed, Rocket Fuel for Your Soul. Gratitude Unleashed in our lives fuels our souls to pray, to serve, and to live in Christ's joy. Last week we talked about gratitude-fueled prayer. Today, we're going to speak about gratitude-fueled servanthood. As a matter of fact, that's the title of this message, gratitude-fueled servanthood. And we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Who are you? That question has fueled a multi-million dollar industry. That industry, as you might imagine, is the consumer genetics testing market. Anybody ever heard of Ancestry.com? For a mere $160, they'll give you a packet sent to your home. You do a, a DNA swab, you put it in the packet, you mail it off, and in eight to 10 weeks, they will attempt to answer that question, who you are. In Great Britain, they actually have on the BBC a program called, Who Do You Think You Are? And, and it's, it's wildly popular. Apparently, this is someone who's famous in Great Britain. I didn't know him. Danny Dyer, I think he's an actor, found out that he was related to King Edward III. Now, you may or may not know this, but do you know that our own Corey Smidgen is related to George Washington? Have you not heard that one? No, for reals, for reals. Like his family gets all these like benefits. Apparently, if you do his family tree all the way back, somewhere, somewhere along the lines, is Big Boy related to George Washington too? He looks like George Washington with the, with the, and Benedict Arnold, with the wooden teeth. So it makes sense though that Corey is related to George Washington, Right? Because he's probably one of the only ones in this church that would not tell a lie. (laughs) Sorry for that one. Here's the question. Your pastor included. Here's the question. Who are you? I I mean, seriously, this industry is incredible. $75 million in 2015. It's projected by 2022 to be worth over $340 million. This industry. People want to know where they came from. It's it's fascinating. They want to know migration stories. You know, am I really from the Pennsylvania Dutch or from the Louisiana Acadian? Am I a wild, crazy Cajun or more like the Amish? You've seen the commercials, right? This one guy thought that he was Scottish. Or German, and he ends up he's Scottish. He trades in the lederhosen for a kilt. I'm not sure about that trade. But it's fascinating because oftentimes where you're from can make a big difference. Your ancestry can make a big difference. I mean, for this gentleman suddenly to be part of royalty, that changes things a little bit. Where are we from? Who are we? In our text this morning, God tells us our ultimate ancestry. Dexter alluded to this. Jesus Christ, our elder brother, the firstborn from the dead, here by his blood, his DNA is now part of our heritage. We are in Christ. He is in us. His righteousness has been imputed to us. This is our ancestry. 
And this changes everything. This informs what we do. This informs everything about us. Who we are in Christ. Our bloodline. And gratitude to God is in the middle of that. If suddenly I realize that I am related to a king and all of the benefits accrue to me, that changes me. That gratitude is part of my life. And we see this in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This gratitude-fueled servanthood. Because we are like our ancestors. We are reflective of them. The Bible would say this, we are God's creation, hence we should image God. The New Testament says it this way, we've been saved that we might be conformed into the image of Christ. So let's look at Philippians 2, 1 through 11 to find out who we are. Verse 1, Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The command in this text, the appeal in this text, the thing that God, through Paul, is asking us to do is found in two places. It's found in verse 2, and it's found in verse 5. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Which mind? Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here's the Ancestry.com link. This is who we are. If we have been born again of the Spirit of God because of Christ's salvific work, His saving work, we now have new identities, we are new creations in Christ, then what God is saying to us in this text is, have Christ's mind when it comes to servanthood. Reflect the mind of Christ. And the way we do that, the way that happens, the way God produces that in us is through gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Point one, grateful to God. We're grateful to God for Christ's saving work. This is, this is the main point of the text, that from our gratitude for Christ's saving work, we're empowered to serve others to the glory of God. This is the main point. Our gratitude for Christ's saving work now empowers us to serve others to the glory of God. We have a new creation. 
we have the mind of Christ and we explore the mind of Christ and we thank God for saving us and it reveals who he is. Therefore, it reveals who we are because we are of him. He is our ancestor. Without meaning to be funny here, we take off the lederhosen and put on the kilt. We're not German ancestry. We're Scottish. That's the metaphor. We're no longer self-serving. We're now serving of others. In our old nature, because of sin, we are all wired to serve ourselves. But now in our true ancestry, as true children of God, the elect of God, whom he chose before the foundation of the earth, those whom God has put his imprint on in Christ and said, you're now my people, we're servants. And out of our gratitude to Christ for his saving work, God empowers us by his spirit to serve others for God's glory. So this first point, grateful to God, let us review Christ's saving work. When Christ saved us, he saved us that we might serve. And he did it by being a servant. We see this in verse 1. Our gratitude to God for what Christ has done. Look at it with me. You'll find in verse 1, encouragement in Christ. You see that? So if there is, and there is, that's rhetorical. If there is, it's not a question, there is. So if there is encouragement in Christ, we are grateful to God because he has saved us in Christ. There's encouragement. Even in the most discouraging day, with the most discouraging news, there's still encouragement in Christ because he saved us. If there is any comfort from love, do you see that in verse 1? Comfort from the love of God poured out on us in Christ because God's love is demonstrated in that he gave his only begotten son for us. How can I sing Jesus loves me? Because God gave his only begotten son to die for my sins as one of his elect. I know God loves me. Even when God allows things to happen in my life that may be difficult, I know he loves me because of Christ's saving work. Do you know That God loves you because of Christ's saving work. Gratitude for that work is what's going to empower you to serve others, which is point two. But we we gloss over that, don't we? We sing. How many of you, when we started singing, yes, Jesus loved me, you went, oh, wait a second. Really? But think about it. Yes, Jesus loves you. It's not an emotional love alone. It is emotional. It's not just a love that's intellectual and theological. It is that. But right now, if you're a Christian... God loves you because Jesus died for your sin, rose from the dead. And we're grateful for that. Continuing to read in verse 1, participation in the Spirit. We are grateful to God for the salvific work of Christ because we have the Spirit of God. We participate in in the Spirit because we have the Holy Spirit. And he brings us life. He convicted us of our sins. He enables us to believe God. He gives life to dead souls. And he unites us for the mission. The mission of spreading the gospel. And finally in verse 1, if there's any affection and sympathy. See, we're grateful to God because he's given us affection and sympathy. Do you know that affection and sympathy are, are a gift and a result of Christ's salvation apart from christ human beings tend to not have affection and not have sympathy we can be hard and judgmental and harsh and broken 
The Bible says that we have sinned and others have sinned against us. And apart from Christ, we, we are a bitter people, broken people. But you have any affection you have, any sympathy you have, it's because of Christ. And let me say this, if you're not a Christian this morning, you are living on the residuals of that. Any good in this world, any beautiful ending to a movie, any kind of romantic place, even Disney. The feel-good of Disney. Do you know that it borrows on Christian capital? Galloping on to be happily ever after. Don't you understand that ultimately that's borrowing on the capital of Christ and his salvific work? Without him, there is no beautiful ending. There is no Prince Charming. There is no happily ever after. But praise God, because of Christ, there is church. It doesn't depend on you or me. Guys, we're not Prince Charming. But Jesus redeems us. Isn't that beautiful? So because of these things, our hearts are encouraged. Our gratitude for Christ's saving work continues in verses 6 to 8. Now verses 6 to 8, if you're not a believer, pay attention. Because verses 6 to 8 are the gospel in a capsule. If you're a Christian and you want to go out and share today at Starbucks or at Donna's or at Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know why I pointed to you, Robbie, but Kentucky Fried Chicken. They'll think you're Garth Brooks, but that's all right. You just go there. You want to share the gospel, go to Philippians 2, 6 through 8. This is an amazing passage. Read it with me. This is the gospel. Speaking of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. All right, you ready for the salvific work of Christ? Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son, and he is eternally God the Son. This does not mean that Jesus ever lays down being God the Son. That's not what that means. He is always God the Son. But what it means is Jesus voluntarily, in obedience to God the Father, laid down the privilege of heaven to come to earth and to be born as a man, being born in the likeness of men. In verse 8, and being found in human form. It means that Jesus voluntarily left the privilege of heaven, but he remained fully God, but now he's fully man. I know that's hard to understand, but it's true. Can God be greater even than your understanding? I know for some of you that's a challenge, but there are things outside your own understanding that are true. And this is one of them. We were speaking with a Muslim yesterday, uh, Thomas and Stephen and I, and we were, just, we were trying to talk to him about the Trinity. You guys did a great job, by the way. And you could just see his eyes were just spinning in his head. And he was a kind man, and he was trying to understand it. At one point, he suppressed a giggle because, you know, we're trying to, you know, explain it to him. But listen, it's true. And God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. God the Son, Jesus, became fully man. This is what it means that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I thank God For God. What God would choose to humble himself and become a man? We're about to celebrate this in two weeks. The first Sunday of Advent is is, uh, two weeks from today. We're celebrating the Advent of Christ. First Advent. We're celebrating the Advent of Christ, his return. But think about it. Don't blow right through that. Slow down. Thank you, Dexter, for having us slow down to think about this. God became a man. He was a little baby. There's a couple little babies in here. 
I mean physically. And, and, and you know, you're changing their diapers and, and you're, you're feeding them, right? Little Elise. Our Lord Jesus Christ was in Mary's arms just like Elise is in your arms right now. God eternal! Man, think about that one. At your low moment this Advent, when you're not getting what you want, when things aren't happening, whatever it may be, think that God humbled himself to be a servant. He became a man. And not only that, he humbled himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. During Advent, let us talk about Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to give his life for you and me. His his life has value in that he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he went to the cross willingly and gave his life for us to take the punishment that we could never, we, we could not get away from this punishment. He took it for us and then he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. Gratitude for what Christ has done to save us, empowers us to serve one another. Point two, empowered to serve others. In verses three and four, we see this truth that Christ served us to save us and he saved us that we might serve others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I come to serve. If that is our ancestry, if that is our bloodline, if that's, that blood has given us life, his blood, that's who we are. He, he served us to save us, and he saved us that we might serve others. This is what it means in verse 3. Look at it with me. What does it look like to serve? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. This word, this word rivalry and the word conceit are related words. Rivalry speaks of selfish ambition. It speaks of the person that can never be wrong. Conceit speaks of the person that thinks that the world revolves around them. And that really speaks of all of us, doesn't it? At some point, we all dip our toes into that pool. Some of us dip our legs into that pool. And some of us just live in that pool. And every once in a while, we get out and dry ourselves off. And everybody around us says, oh, thank God. But then we jump back into it. But Jesus is, is, is changing us and he's making us more like himself so that we don't live out of rivalry and, and conceit. Because these two things, when we live out of rivalry and conceit and, and selfish ambition, these are all cousins here in, in this family, then usually that divides people. It divides churches. It divides marriages. It divides school. Any organization, when someone is driven by their agenda, even and especially when it's a self-righteous agenda, Check out the Pharisees in the New Testament. It's going to divide. There's bickering. There's slander. There's anger. There's always stuff happening. And Jesus says, no, no, don't do that. That's the put off. That's your old lifestyle. Get those later hosing off. You're not that. Here's the kilt. You ready? But rather, verse 3, in humility. Do you see that, verse 3? Do nothing from rivalry, conceit, but That's an important word. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Isn't this what Christ did? The God of all the universe did not come to be served, but to serve. 
Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but your will be done. Every little act of servanthood that we do is done, is born out of gratitude for Christ's servanthood and recognition that our ancestry, our little DNA swab that we did and it comes back says, this is who you are. You're a servant because Jesus is a servant. Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus laid down the privilege of heaven and became a baby. Jesus lived this perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus is a servant. And we, as his offspring, we, as his brothers and sisters, are servants in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. Boy, it takes humility, doesn't it? It takes humility in an argument when you're really going after it and you think you're really right, and the other person thinks they're really right, to slow down once again and say, okay, I, I am going to consider that person more significant than myself. I know right there your brain has stopped working, right? You're like, whoa, that, that can't work, right? Well, isn't it in the Bible you know, somewhere it says you've got to take care of yourself because no one else will, something like that? Look out for number one because no one else is going to look out for number one. Well, it's in some Bibles, but not the Holy Bible. But we kind of live that way, don't we? Whenever I raise my voice in an argument, I've ceased thinking the other person is more significant. Now I'm just going to hammer home my point. And it's sad. That's why I need a savior. But Jesus says, no, that's not who you are. You're the person who considers the other person more significant than yourself. Study that one. That one is amazing. Lord, how do I apply this in my life? How, how can I elevate others? How can I work to serve others? Continuing to read in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. I believe this is how. I think verse 4 helps us apply verse 3. What does it mean to consider others more significant than ourselves? Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. Okay, so you can look to your own interest. But not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. This is working to serve, to elevate others. This is thinking of the interest of that person, we use this illustration often, who's trying to merge onto that lane in rush hour traffic. Okay, I've got an interest. I need to get to work on time. But they have an interest. So can I, I I got my interest, but you know what? They got an interest. Let them in. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for many things. It's a metaphor for your marriage and how you treat your spouse, your children, in this church. How can I do more than just consider my interest, but also the interest of others? This is what Christ did. How do we do that? Well, we don't withdraw from others. We don't don't internalize our gaze to find ourselves and pride on ourselves. We we work to reach out. We work to serve and make others a success. We lay down our opinion of how we think things should be done. And we really listen. And even if, especially when it's a preference issue, we're saying, okay, let's do it your way. Let's do it your way. Let's try it that way. As we work together, we humble ourselves. This is so against the culture of our world today. The cultural ethos is my interest is supreme. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I want now. My agenda, and you find that in the church as well as in the world. But instead, we serve one another. And as we serve one another, we decrease. Christ increases. And actually, when you serve yourself, your soul shrinks. When you die to self and serve others, your soul gets bigger because this is who Christ is. This is who we're called to be. It's like Jesus says, you want to go up, go down. You want to get, give. Blessed is he who gives. The world says blessed is he who gets. 
But no, Jesus says, blessed is he who gives because he came to give. We can't outgive him. We give because he first gave. We serve because he first served. But we are his, and that is our ancestor. That's where we came from. What swells my heart with sense of satisfaction. Does my heart swell with a sense of satisfaction when I work to make you a success or when I'm a success? Defined as the world defines it. Does your heart swell with satisfaction when you can serve others behind the scenes and never get any credit for it? When you can let others stand on your shoulders, which means that when the picture's taken, it's their face that will be taken in the picture. It's a metaphor, not yours. Now, that's a test for me every day. But this is, this is who we are. This is that servanthood that is fueled by gratitude for Christ's servanthood. And why do we do all this? Well, there's only one person who deserves the glory, and that's point three. Living for the glory of God. You'll notice that this text ends in doxology. What is doxology? Doxology is just the glory of God. What is the purpose of mankind? We talked about this last week. The chief end of man, according to the Westminster divines, is what? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Remember what we've been talking about when we preached through Genesis. We were created, mankind was created to image God and to bring, display God's glory. God's glory is displayed in creation. Isn't it beautiful? It's displayed in mankind. Aren't they beautiful? As they reflect and image God, but then sin came in to the garden and marred, disfigured that image of God. But God said, I'm going to save you and restore you into that image so that you might display my glory and give me glory ultimately. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's why the Bible says that when God saves us, those whom he's chosen, he's saved, and those whom he's saved, he's sanctified, conforming them into the image of Christ. This is the purpose. But, but might I add this? The book of Philippians, I don't think is to be taken individually. Now, obviously, it's got to start individually to be... I believe he's saying to the Philippians, be conformed to the image of Christ as a church. Because some of this stuff I can't reflect unless I'm serving you. Some of this stuff I can't reflect unless I choose to look after your interests, not just my own, here in community. So that as a church, we're reflecting Christ to the world for the glory of God alone. Friends, Christ humbled himself in obedience to God to serve us. Every knee now, according to verse 9, will bow to him. Listen to it. Therefore, therefore, circle the therefore. What's the therefore? Because of all that preceded. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. The one who humbled himself. The one who set aside his privilege and came down to earth to be a man. The one who obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. God will bestow on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, not Alpino, fill in your name, not any king, not anybody else, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This is the end game. This is the purpose for which we've been created. This is what we're calling the nations to do. Bring glory to God. Bring glory to God. We know that apart from God's grace, they can't because they're going to live for themselves. They're going to shake their fists in God's face and say, I don't want to worship God. I want to be God. Be gone, God. 
And God in his mercy comes to a bunch of ungrateful rebels and said, I will become man and die for my elect. Oh, church, how can we not give him glory? Imperfectly, yes. How can we not serve? Imperfectly, yes. But how can we not at least be leaning forward and saying, Lord, I blew it again today. I blew it last week. But, oh, Lord, I'm leaning forward. I trust in the blood of Jesus. That's my ancestry. That's who I really am. I'm acting like this, but I, I know this is who I am. Lord, help me to be a servant today. And help gratitude for your sacrifice for me on the cross fuel my servanthood. Worship is the end game of gratitude-fueled servanthood. Worship of God rather than self. For self, I believe, is the idol of today's world. We call others to serve God as we serve one another, empowered by Christ's service of us on the cross to save us. Friends, we are saved to serve to the glory of God. Here's the appeal. This is the transforming effect of the gospel, isn't it? This is Christ in us. This is the message of this text. Have the same mind. Be of the same mind, verse 2. Have this mind which you have in Christ. This is the new mind that we have of the new creation. This is who we are. This is how we look at life. The one who humbly obeyed his father to die on the cross for us by that sacrifice empowers us to serve one another by caring not just about our interests, our agenda, our opinions, our pleasures, our success, our time, but to care equally. I'm not sure what that means. Don't just look after your interests, but also the interests of others. I'm not sure what the percentage is. It's a hard issue. But also caring about others' interests, others' agenda, others' pleasures, others' success, others' time. I mean, I, mean, I know we joke about this, but I think being on time is a great way this has worked out. I know we've joked about the Latin culture. But think about it. When we're late, and I'm often late, what we're saying is my time's more important than your time. You can wait for me, but I'm not going to wait for you. It's in the little things, church. Remember last week we talked about he gives us this new mind so we can approve what is excellent. It's all these little decisions we make. Our gratitude for Christ's service just empowers us to serve one another. To bear one another's burdens. Thank you for that prayer again earlier on. To reach out to those who are hurting. To be, to be those who are burdened. And to restore those who are caught in sin. By the grace of God, we do it empowered by Christ's saving work for us. For this is what Christ did for us. Let us pray. Worship team, would you come up please? Lord, I thank you for your grace. That is so amazing. Lord, I thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Lord, great is your faithfulness because you are mighty. Because the one who is mighty has done great things for us. (laughs) Lord, we couldn't do it for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. You saved us. You did it by becoming a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death and death on a cross. Father, even just wrapping my head around the fact that God eternal chose to become a man, a little baby in a manger, I just, all I could say is thank you. Because apart from that, I would be lost. There would be no hope for me. Nor for any of your people. But you did. 
Lord, I just, I think about December 9th when we, when we get up on that stage at Christmas near the beach. Lord, there'll be many events going on this Christmas. But I pray gratitude for your saving work would just fuel our service. That we would joyfully serve, sing, dance, preach, whatever we're doing. Run the, the sound system in the, uh, behind the scenes. Father, but we're so grateful. Our lives are yours. I no longer live for myself, but for you who died for me and rose from the dead. Lord, as, as, as a church, may we be conformed into your image. And when we fail, may we run to the cross and be gracious to one another and in faith towards you. For you are the one who's mighty. You've done a great thing. You've saved us. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand. Let us sing that song, He Who Is Mighty.